to see so many rocking the dad plaid today. I've, um, I, I really thought I was seeing some things weird in a moment. I, I kept thinking I'm seeing the same person over and over, and I wasn't quite understanding that. And then I realized how much a lot of the guys look similar to each other because of uh, this stage of our dad plaid life with our hair being gray and some of us having some facial hair. It was, it was really interesting to walk around and see so many people. But uh, I, I, I think if you do take a picture, find somebody with an extra wide lens because there's a bunch of guys dressed that way here today. You're going to need that wide lens. It's a real honor for me to be here and to be asked to preach uh, at this church that I love so much. Today's very special for Cindy and me and our family for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's the 40th birthday for a child that we really never got to keep long for only nine hours. He was born on June 19th, 1982 in what was to be a momentous moment for me in my life uh, because just moments after he was born, I walk over into the uh, the corner of that delivery room, Cindy was not doing well. It had been a very difficult pregnancy. And we had learned about halfway through the pregnancy that there were serious problems and that our son was not going to make it because he was formed without kidneys. And they sent us to Indianapolis and told us uh, to be ready for a funeral. And we kept believing God, kept holding on. Uh, but in that moment when he was born only four weeks away from due date, the doctors were amazed that Cindy went that long. Uh, I asked God in the corner of that delivery room to heal Joshua, that if he were to heal Joshua, this is what I said, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll become whatever you want me to be. And, and quite frankly, to my surprise in that moment, I felt a very clear word being spoken in my heart. It wasn't audible, may as well have been. And he said this, you already know what I want you to do. In a real loving way. He didn't say that in a condemning way at all. It was a very loving way. I already know. And then it hit me. The one thing that I did not ever want to do was ministry. In fact, in my arrogance, I told the Lord I would never do that. Uh, you don't bargain with God. And I told the Lord in that moment, Lord, I'll do, I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to become that. I don't know what steps to take, but I'll do it. And the moment I said that, my heart was filled with peace. And I thought God might heal our son. He lived for nine hours, and early the next morning, on Father's Day, 1982, he passed. But his life, as short as it was, was very significant for Cindy and me. And we've never forgotten every Father's Day as it rolls around. It's a memorial day for me for two reasons. Number one, I remember Joshua and how much we uh, loved him and how we were so excited for our first son. But it's also a day that I remember God's call in my life. And that is huge. And it was a gift. Today we're talking about three verses from the Bible that are powerful verses. Three small verses that pack a big punch. And yet it is a passage of Scripture that many people still are confused about in our, our world even after all of these years. So I'm going to do the very best job I can do to help unpack these, what I believe will be very helpful for us. I've entitled this message today, Making Room for the Supernatural. Because you see, in a real way, it, it, that is an appropriate title as I look back on what happened to us 40 years ago. We were living our lives, and my declaration to God about what I would do and what I wouldn't do was all very much natural. It was what I wanted, not what God wanted. And, and that's a big difference. We have to get through to understand that difference, that God wants us to follow Him. And, and at times there's going to be a rub. 
because that's not what we want. That's not the goal that we've set for ourselves. We've got to make room for the supernatural. So if you would, open to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 10. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Let's pause for just a moment and pray. Lord, I thank you for once again an unbelievable privilege to look into your word. And I stand here today an imperfect man serving a perfect Savior. Lord, you are the one who has called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And I pray today that you cause the light to shine in our hearts on this word today as we look at these scriptures. And I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage, in even reading it, we are already in what I would consider to be the deep end of the theological pool. There's a, there's a lot here that could be declared by some people, theologians too, as dangerous stuff. I mean, let's face it, we're talking about consequences that come by, by uh, looking in and believing and saying that you believe these verses are still to be active in the church today. There are great people, great leaders on both sides of this issue, and they've landed on different sides as to how the practice of the spiritual gifts are to be done and how they're to be observed and how they're to be managed in the church. There's a lot of people that I love that would believe differently than what I believe. Uh, I grew up in a church that had strong beliefs. I grew up in a Pentecostal church that uh, exuded a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of faith for the gifts. But unfortunately, in my life and in others that I would observe, there was also an element of smugness that happens when you feel something so deeply and so strongly that you know you're right and everybody else is wrong, and that's the way you carry it out. And I pray today that we as a church can avoid that pitfall when it comes to these gifts and really see what it is that Paul was teaching to the Corinthians and let the spillover effect of that teaching affect our hearts today. Because as you heard last week when Seth preached, the Lord does not want us to be uninformed. He wants us not to be ignorant to what His Word says. So we as a, as a church need and want to look at this with open hearts and open minds. I thought Seth did a great job last week setting the stage for these three verses as he outlined uh, the context for Paul speaking his letter or writing his letter, which obviously is going to be read and reread throughout the church and throughout the area. There's several points of importance from today's passage that I'd like to look at, first of all. Paul is aiming to inform the Corinthians who severely, and I want to emphasize, they really needed this word. It was to be, in a real sense, a word of correction. It was a a word coming to a people that I don't believe it would be too wrong to say they were in a hot mess. Uh, they were misusing, abusing some of the gifts that we're going to read about today. It marked their lives, it marked their services, and uh, they were finding this problem to be true not only in what they believe but how they were walking it out. It's so comforting for me to realize in this moment, when I look at the, the mess and you see the list of Paul's words to what they were doing that were wrong, some of them were horribly wrong. 
uh, it's so encouraging to me to see that Paul did not lose faith for the Corinthians. He did not, he did not lose his confidence that God had called them to be part of the church. In fact, at one point, he, he called them a seal of his apostleship. Can you imagine laying your reputation, laying the claim of your call on your life on people that were a hot mess? But that's exactly what Paul was doing. His belief that they believed in the gospel remained strong. Years ago, I heard an illustration. I've never forgotten it. I thought it was spot on when I first heard it. And I believe it's spot on today. It goes like this. Wherever there has been abuse in a teaching, the correct action or the correct response is not misuse of that teaching or where it's being abused, or is it disuse? He said, the person who spoke this said this, the correct direction to take is the correct use. So today, in light of the fact that we've all seen abuses, we've all seen things that are confusing, we've all seen areas that it was not being preached correctly or handled correctly, I think all you have to do is watch Christian TV for just a little bit and you're going to find some things that are probably going to struggle in your heart just a little bit. But we've got to be careful that as we watch something or as we see something unfolding in the life of somebody who believes in the spiritual gifts and they believe strongly in it, we've got to make sure that we don't disuse or misuse the gifts, but that we pray that we will correctly use. Now today's passage doesn't deal with every one of the aspects of uh, the Corinthians abusing the gospel. But it does lay out some sound teaching, I believe some very helpful teaching, and it overlays it on the Corinthians, their life, their, the church there in Corinth. And it's so interesting that Paul was such a patient leader. You might be tempted to think that what Paul would do is he's looking at all of this that's going on wrongly, that he would just say, hey guys, you just need to sit down, go to the bench, stop doing any of it. But he doesn't do that. We're, we're going to see later in chapter 14 that he doesn't even, in their abusing of tongues, he doesn't even encourage them to stop. He just has ideas which were from God on how to order all of those things. Uh, that's the key today, is that we want godly order. We want to have the gifts happening in Metro Life Church. We want to see that. God has given us teaching here by Paul. He lovingly teaches what should be taking place in Corinth, in their services, in their hearts, in their day-to-day, -day, individually. Now, Seth pointed out last week, and I believe this is a true statement, he said this, he said, we're all going to be filled with one spirit or another. Said differently, we're going to be filled with one or the other, baby. That's how I, have, I said it to my wife when I was looking over Seth's notes last week. We're going to be filled with one or the other. We're going to be filled with the gifts of the Spirit or we're going to be filled with something else. That's what we've got to realize today. Sometimes we could be filled with doubt. Sometimes we could be filled with the Spirit of the world. But at any point, that's true. We need to stop and say, Lord... I want to be filled with your spirit. I think one of the reasons why this is so difficult for us to understand is that these gifts are not from us. We can't understand them. And they're not to be sustained by us. These are things that come from God. These are things that he has given us. There's a quote I want to put on the screen. Michael will put this up for us. It's from Roy Lauren's commentary called Where Life Matures, 1 Corinthians. He said this, While Christianity is a reasonable faith, we must not lose sight of another fact. There are elements in it which transcend reason. In such places, faith carries on where reason leaves off. If this were not so, and if it were understandable in all its parts, 
it would cease to be a divine system and prove itself to be a human invention. This is its highest recommendation as the supreme truth of God and the superior way of life. I believe that is exactly right. If you think for a moment you're going to get a hold of all of the aspects of this teaching, you're wrong. I'm wrong. We're wrong. Because this is supernatural. There's a part of this that will always have to be treaded softly upon and, and, and dealt with carefully. We prophesy in part. We study in part. We use the gifts of the Spirit as best we can with the faith that God has given us. But I, again, I'm going to be honest with you. This study has a measure of risk for each and every one of us. I may today cause you to struggle. I pray that if I do, I pray that it's the kind of struggle that will force you into the Word. But I, again, want to remind you, I'm not making these words up that I've just read to you today. These are in the Bible. These were commented on from Paul. So here's what we have to do. We have to determine that we're not going to live our lives in only the safe lane of reason. To do that is to live according to our own scope, our own abilities to grasp. So I agree again with Lauren's words. We've got to understand that there's a point in our life where reason stops and faith begins to live and drive and motivate and lead. For whatever reason, it was God himself giving us the inspired word as taught here by Paul that aims to stretch that faith and to make room in our hearts for the supernatural. The gifts that are mentioned in Scripture are not gifts that we acquire by, by just study. They're not gifts that we earn by our actions. They're not rewards given to us because we had our devotions faithfully for seven days in a row. You know, I, I, I joke, uh, Phil Corson and I spent a lot of years together up in Gainesville, and he, he always had this ability to find a parking place. And as he was pulling in in the parking place, as, and those of you that know Phil will know exactly the attitude and the air that was in the air as he said this. Ah, oh, it's good to be a king's kid, he would say. God just gave me this spot right up here, right in front. I always seem to have a hard time doing that. I was shocked, though. There were a few times that I'd find a parking place right in front, and I found myself being tempted to say the same doggone thing as Phil did. <laughs> it, it's just the truth. But the truth is, we are king's kids. There's some real truth to that. We've got to see it. But these gifts that are given to us today are not because we earned it. They're given given to us by God. They are not earned. They are not assets for which we qualify by our actions and obedience. They are gifts given to us by God for the purpose of becoming the people that He's called us to be. Now there's a commentator in one of the uh, books that I studied. His name was Bruce Fisk. And he used a, a really cool analogy and I liked it so much that I created a, a graphic. And I'm going to ask Michael to put that graphic up on the screen. You, first of all, you're going to see that we have, here, we have the books of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And there's a bookend. And on, on that left side, the bookend is verse 7. And it's really important that we look at this. And I want to just hang right here for a moment. You have here the books that are standing up. We need bookends to understand the stuff that's in these books. And God gives them to us. These, these three verses, 8, 9, and 10, are bookended, if I could phrase a term here. They have bookends on both sides of them that hold them up, that help us understand the context that help us understand how it is that they're to act in our lives. And I believe we need to see what it is. So in this first side, we have verse 7. 
And if we go back and look at 1 Corinthians verse 7, here's what it says. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So on the left side of this teaching, right before Paul utters these three verses, he's making a big reminder that, look, what I'm about to tell you, it is for your good. It is for the good of the church. It is for the good of the community of the church. It is good for the church's life together. It is for your common good. They are are not to be divisive gifts. They're to be gifts that are given to actually move out confusion so that the church can be operating as God intended. But then there's a second bookend, and that bookend is verse 11. And if we look at that, we see, go ahead, Michael, and start that one. All these gifts are activated by the one and same Spirit. And here's really an important thing for us to realize. By the one and same Spirit as He chooses. Now, this is hard for a lot of us because we like to live. I mean, one of my recurring sins in my life is just self, self-belief. Uh, it could be expressed in self-atonement. I can live at times like I don't need a Savior. I have a feeling I'm not the only one in the room. I have a feeling it, there are times when I wake up and I, I, I want to live that day according to what seems right to me. But you know, the, the Lord gives us these gifts to remind us at times of what He's doing. That's what happened when Joshua was born. And, and, and really, the whole process, the last half of Cindy's pregnancy, was a lesson to me in my life that life is not what I'm able to tell God that I will or will not do. I've got to realize that He gives us gifts. And they're for our good, and on the left hand, they're as He wills for His purposes. There's no real order in this list. Uh, perhaps except for the fact that he does hold off uh, on what was the leading thing that he later addresses, which was tongues. Uh, That comes toward the end. But I want to dive right into these gifts today. So let's jump in them. Let's look back, first of all, at verses 8 through 9a. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit. So these first three gifts, wisdom, knowledge, and faith, they work hand in hand with each other. Theologians believe that these three gifts are, are really given for the, the practice and the, and the walking out of our daily lives as the church. If They work hand in hand. But if you read the ESV, you're going to see the ESV breaks down these three gifts into two lanes and they acknowledge both lanes i will say that they do that they acknowledge that the first interpretation might be that these are supernatural gifts of wisdom knowledge and faith but then they give another lane and it said it could be that what paul is referring here to is that it's really uh, things that you've learned in just the wisdom of life and living life I find myself leaning for the first part. And I believe the context of this passage is not, is not that Paul is saying, hey guys, to the church at Corinth, you've learned a lot. Let's face it, you've, you're pretty smart. You've got a lot of knowledge going on. Now apply that knowledge that you've learned from your life, and as you do, you know this thing of faith. No, I don't believe that. I believe that instead what Paul is teaching here is that there are moments where a word of wisdom, I think it's a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a word of faith suddenly comes down from God, just like he did in my heart in that delivery room. It was from the external, not from my own life. And drops that in our lives in such a way that the result is like a one of those videos that you've watched of a nuclear bomb being set off 
It's just a massive flash and then a mushroom cloud rises and what you could not see before, now you can see. I believe the context here for these three verses and the gifts contained within take it to the side of spirit given, not life learned. Now on this thought, Leon Morris, another commentator, said this, Paul certainly thinks that of all the wisdom and all the knowledge the Christian has as coming from the Spirit. But here, and I love what Morris says here, here he's talking of special gifts. Gifts, moreover, of a word of wisdom and of knowledge, not wisdom and knowledge themselves. And then he ends up in a dead-level honest way. He says, it's not easy to see what they are. I agree. Uh, This is not easy stuff to understand every aspect about how these things are to weigh out, how they actually work. But I don't believe it's that difficult to believe in God who owns all wisdom, all knowledge, who gives faith very freely. I don't believe it's hard to believe that God dispenses moments of clarity, moments of assurance that are simply a word of wisdom or an understanding that comes your way that he's dropped into our heart and our mind as a gift in a moment. And in that moment, we see what was hidden before. It is this context that wisdom and knowledge can be supernaturally inserted into our heart and into our mind. And they're both coming from the Spirit of God. And again, a reminder here, always given for a specific purpose. Always given for your common good and the common good of the church. Often a gift of wisdom, knowledge, and faith, they seem to come simultaneously. And they result in a believer being gifted to see something and to take action and to go in a direction that he just didn't see before. He wouldn't have had faith to do before. I'm going to give you an example of that. I believe that this very church was birthed in that very same way. It was birthed in the heart and the mind of Danny Jones. Now, I know that this is God's church. I am aware of that. And Danny would be the first to say This is not his church. This has always been known to be the Lord's church. But this Lord, like the farmer who told the guy who was commenting, he goes, well, yeah, yeah, God's given you all this bumper crop. And the farmer looked at him and he said, you should have seen it when God had it all by himself. (laughs) I mean, let's face it. This church was not here before that moment of faith happened in Danny. And I I will go so far as to say is that's why Cindy and I moved 850 miles to be from Indiana because we didn't see a church like we saw described only by a vision that God had given Danny. Cindy and I moved here not for an existing church. We moved here because God had called Danny, gave him a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom and a word of faith that so incited our hearts that we had to be a part of what was going to grow from this. Danny, I will always be blessed by your faith. I will always be thankful that God gave you a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. That example for Danny, uh, it wouldn't have worked for Danny to try this if it had only come from, let's say, an encouragement from his mom and dad. Now, they were very encouraging to him. They were part of our church in the early years of this church's existence. But it was not just their word or the word of a former pastor or a friend who believed in Danny uh, who would look at him and go, Danny, you're a gifted dude. Why don't you lead a church? In fact, why why don't you step out and leave the church you're serving now and become a senior pastor? You know, Danny would not have done that. I don't believe he would not have done that. But he was able to do that and did that when God burned it in his heart. And in a moment, he had faith to do what seemed to be an impossibility. When God moves in our hearts, 
he gives us a nudge. And we see what he is saying, and we understand it, and we move. And when that happens, when a word of knowledge, when a word of wisdom is given, then something of faith rises up in our hearts, and we're able to speak that, or to go that direction, or to do that thing that God is calling us to do. Faith is activated. Let's go through this list to the next group of three. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. Some theologians refer to these gifts as being gifts of the will. They are gifts that demand in our hearts and in our lives, if we're going to employ them, boldness of faith and obedience to the Lord. Healings are perhaps the easiest of this list to get our, our brains around because, let's face it, who isn't excited or who wouldn't be excited or who wouldn't want a healing if they needed it, if something's wrong? We all took a class one day at RTS, and there was a prominent speaker. I won't mention his name. I wouldn't want to embarrass him. But basically, he, he was from a denomination that would not have believed that the gifts of the Spirit are still active and available today in the same way that this church would believe they are. But he said this. He said, now I want you to know, though, that if my, sick were, if my kid were sick and dying... I'd be calling up some Holy Ghost-believing, faith-filled preacher who had a gift of healing to pray for him. Now, he mentioned the name of one of those guys, and I'll let you fill in the blank. But, but that's what he was saying. And I think there's a little bit of truth in that. Even the guys that would say they don't believe in the gift of healing, when it comes down to the, a sickness, man, they're happy to be prayed for. That is the truth. Healings are very important. I want to tell you another story. About 10 years ago, Cindy and I were in Gainesville, serving in the church up there, and, and she all of a sudden realized she was having difficulty hearing out of her left ear. We initially thought it was just congestion from a cold, but it got, it got to be the point where she realized, I can hear nothing. It, it's completely stopped up. Now, during that season... We were leading a community group, and in our community group, we had two amazingly gifted doctors that were part of our group. A, a, a man uh, who, was, who is now a heart specialist and a, a uh, lady doctor who was from uh, Nigeria, and they were both incredible people. We loved them both, and they were very concerned, and they brought in some instruments to test Cindy after our group night one night. And I saw the faces after they did the tests. They looked at me with a, like, this is not good. This is not good. We recommend that you see a specialist. So we did. We took her to an ENT, and he, he took her through a battery of tests, a bunch of them. And the diagnosis was not good. It was grim. He, he called us back in. We went in to hear the outcome of all the tests. And what we heard was that Cindy had suffered complete loss of her neural nerve, the nerve, uh, the neural hearing loss. Uh, the nerve had died. The nerve that drives your ability to hear in that ear was gone. And he said, I'm sorry. There's nothing. Once it dies, it's dead. And we left there that day with that kind of diagnosis. Well, a short time later, we had a, a meeting there on a Sunday morning, just within a few weeks of that. And the, the team from Metro, Darren and Lewis and Debbie and their spouses, all, all came up. And uh, I think Aaron was here as, there as well and prayed. They prayed for Cindy. And... We just had a wonderful time. All of our church gathered around Cindy and we prayed for a miracle. And I don't know how many days later it was, but Cindy wakes up and she goes, Mike, I can hear again. I'm hearing again. So we, we, were, we were overjoyed. 
she said, this is amazing. I can hear. And we went back to the doctor. Went to the same doctor that had done the battery of tests. And he checked her out, and he looked in her ear, and he goes, well, we're going to have to do everything over again. So they did everything over again. This time, the outcome of that examination was that her hearing in her left ear that was dead before was now hearing better than her other ear. The doctor looked at us, and I wondered what he was thinking. I had heard that he was from a different denomination, not one that would be faith in, in Christ the same way we believe. But he looked at her and he said, the only thing that I can tell you is, this is a miracle. This shouldn't have happened. He said, I, I deal with this all the time. I see it all the time. And there is no medical explanation why you're now able to hear. But he said, you can hear, and your hearing is not that bad. That is, that is a miracle. So healings and miracles, uh, they happen simultaneously when you're healed. That kind of, uh, I want you to know that that kind of uh, healing is, that's not been our every time experience. I wish it were. Uh, Cindy and I have been prayed for for other things, and we were not healed. I have no explanation as to the whys about when somebody's healed and when they're not. And if anybody is going to stand and tell you that they have the sure-fired formula that they can pray for you, you're going to... No, they don't. There have been too many people. We had a, a dear member of my family that looked at, looked at us, and I know they meant well, but after Joshua died, they told me that if you have only had faith, Joshua would have lived. And that's just not true. We've got to see that there's a mystery to these things, and we've got to realize that we can't reason it all out. This is where faith takes over, and sometimes the Lord says yes, and sometimes in His answer... The Lord says no. And we have to accept that. That is about all I can share on that one. They do happen even today. Prophecy is something that's been called anointed speech, oratory that is inspired in our hearts and minds from a word from the Lord. Prophecy as a gift does not mean foretelling the future. A lot of people wonder about that. Like, well, he's a, that, this guy is, is really good at understanding prophetic things. I wonder what, what I'm going to go to him to find out what I should do about this. That's the wrong motive to come to, to understand prophecy. While it's not equal to the canon of the Word of God and never is, prophecy does bring about a, a great encouragement, comfort, and edification to the church. It's a gift that sweetens the moment as this gift is from the living God being exercised by faith as a gift in the heart of that person to whom that word of prophecy has been given. I want you to know that there have been plenty of times that I've been blessed, even in this very church, from someone who was gifted prophetically. And, and God would give a word. And there's times that I've had, I think of a time we came to visit here in 2013, living in Gainesville. We dropped in on a Sunday morning and about several days that same week prior to our being here. And our being here was a surprise. Nobody knew we were coming. We just dropped in. And Darren looked at me, came up, and he read to me a, a prophetic word that he had written himself days earlier. And he goes, I can't believe you're here. I want to give this word to you. And it was like Darren was reading my mail about what I was going through. It so encouraged me that it gave me such edification in my own heart about a decision that I was needing to make. And I was able to make that decision. Look, these are not small things. 
These are not small little like, oh yeah, this is nice. Here's a little breadcrumb from the table of God. Sometimes God uses these things and he changes our life with them. He really does. We experience this gift here on a regular basis, but I want to let, let us all know today, and me too, we should never take this for granted. We should never act like this is just business as usual. This is a gift from God. These three gifts in perfect order to the first three. Again, quoting Lauren in his book, listen what he said. Whoever possessed wisdom, knowledge, and faith was fitted to exercise the gifts of healing, miracles, and prophecy. Such vast and wonderful power as is represented in healing, miracles, and prophecy would be unsafe except in the hands of wisdom, knowledge, and faith. I agree. Let's look at our last segment today. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. The gift of discerning of spirits was especially necessary in this first use of Scripture in Corinth. For again, much was happening there in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, that wasn't from the Spirit of God. And Paul was telling them, guys, you need to be discerning. But never fear, God has a gift to help you do that. The gift from the Lord enables us the ability to know the difference between the real and the fake, between the spurious and the true. This, uh, this gifting, as it is, is critical, I believe, in the day in which we live today. We read in Scripture that there's going to come a day when the Lord returns. There's going to be some who are going to be shocked to realize that their names aren't written in the Lamb's book of life, and they're going to come to the Lord and somehow declare this. Lord, Lord, we even cast out demons in your name. But the Lord's going to look and he goes, I never knew you. What a shock! Those people lacked discernment. They lacked the ability to understand that what they were thinking of, what they were seeing, was not from God at all. It's so important that we see it. It's critical that we gain discernment. And finally, we get to the last couple of gifts here in this list. The gifts that captured the fancy of those Corinthians. They were using tongues, and we're going to hear more in a couple weeks about that. Uh, the gifts that are really still the center of so much discussion today. There are, there are denominations who are formed that really follow the beliefs that tongues would re really be centric to everything they believe. But we want to look at them today in the word sense. So let's do that. So I'm going to give you a context here on this. Three things that Paul teaches the church about tongues. Number one, there were tongues in a geographical sense. We know that. We read that from Luke's writing in the book of Acts where there were uh, people who were speaking in another foreign language. And they understood, other people understood them. Here's the, the catch to that. The people who were speaking these tongues did not know that they were speaking a fluent language that was to be understood by someone in a different geographical area. It was a miracle to them, and it caused faith in their heart to rise. Then... There's tongues in personal prayer. Paul teaches on this more in chapter 14. And of that usage, he said this about himself. He said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Tongues are given a prominent examination later on in chapter 14. And we learn that those that with this gift are speaking to God. If you're praying in tongues, you're not praying to understand what it is you're saying. And, uh, you know, it, it is not going to be it's not going to be understood or enlightening your brain. But the Bible does say that when you do speak to God in tongues, you are edified. So there is benefit to it. 
to you, even though you don't know what you're saying. But keep in mind, Paul says, you're speaking Godward. You're speaking to God. And this, you're being edified in me. Now, there is a mystery about it. I get it. Paul makes it clear that prophecy is really to be preferred to this gift of tongues because we have understanding through prophecy. But he doesn't forbid, in fact, he, he forbids anyone to forbid the use of tongues to the Corinthians. This is something that is important. We need to see it. Then there's the third use, tongues in a public congregation. Again, more guidelines coming, but it's helpful for us today as we look at these three gifts to realize that tongues should only be used in a public setting when there is an interpretation present. That's the teaching Paul is going to be rounding out later on as we do this study. But it is, it is a gift that we should strive for. It is a gift that we should not be surprised at when it happens. It is a gift that we need to rightly use and not disuse or misuse. Paul gives the burden of discernment over the use of tongues to the elders of the church who are to keep close watch over the congregation, to keep order in the church. That's what our pastors do. That's why when we have this public microphone here, we have a pastor who is overseeing and he's, he's managing before the Lord. He's a man. It's not like he's been given by God this uh, download of information on how to do everything perfectly or to know everything perfectly. I wish there were a PDF download that we could kind of grab and put in our hearts like that. It just doesn't happen that way, friends. We may live in the internet age, but these elders are, they're men, and they're doing the very best that they can do. And that's what any of us can hope or pray for. But they have that burden. In my years of growing up in a Pentecostal church, I saw plenty of abuses. I remember a time when we were praying and everyone was down on their knees and this evangelist got up. I, I know he meant well. I'm sure he meant well. I think he meant well. And he said, hey, church brothers, in that way of speaking that he did, you need to do something brand new. You need to do something you've never had faith to do before. Well, I thought there's a wide open one right there. And sure enough, a guide suddenly jumped up and let out a squeal. And I opened my eyes to see what in the world was happening. And he was up on the top, on the very top of the pew, on the back part of the pew. And he was doing a tightrope walk. And as he did it, he said, never been able to do this before. Friends, that's just plain crazy. From my study, I believe the primary benefit of the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues is going to be really found for us in private prayer. There's debate even about a passage in Roman 8, but I, I believe in my own heart that Paul, when, he teaks, when he's teaching Romans, in chapter 8, and he talks about those with the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly with words that can't be expressed. I believe he's talking about praying in the Spirit right there. And other theologians do as well. There are some, obviously, who don't. Again, that's the way it is. But here's what Paul says about that. It is the Spirit who is interceding through you to the Father. And while we don't yet know what our answer is going to be, the Spirit is interceding in such a way that the Father knows the mind of the Spirit. And God is hearing the groanings of our heart. And we will see His answer come to us, to that prayer. Now again, in closing today, there's much debate about all of these verses there's debate about people who take one side or the other. There are sermons that I've listened to over and over and I love and I respect the men who preach them who have landed on both sides of this issue. 
And there's more teaching to come from this pulpit in the weeks ahead. But for today, on this Father's Day, I trust that this has been helpful to you. And I want to give you four application questions that you can ask yourself or apply to your life. Not all of them are questions. Some are statements. Number one, how open to the miraculous am I currently in your heart? To be honest, that in the process of working this through, I find it so helpful to remember that these are God's ideas, His concepts, not ours. They are contained in the canon of Scripture, inspired by God. Number two, ask yourself, do I have artifacts of bad experience or bad teaching in my memory? Areas where I saw abuse, perhaps even years ago, and I find myself now responding with disuse. Number three, accept the challenge this morning from the Word of God to allow faith to grow in our hearts, to be used of this, allowing you to move out in the gifts of the Spirit. And then finally, number four, as the band is going to be leading us today, trust in the Lord, remembering that these gifts, in fact, all gifts from the Bible, are given for our common good. As the Lord, through His Holy Spirit, chooses for the maturing of the church, for the maturing to become the people that He wants us to be. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is a light to our pathway, a lamp unto our feet. And I pray, O oh God, that you would cause our eyes to go off of just what we believe, that we will cast out those artifacts, those residual remains of bad doctrine, of bad teaching, of bad experiences, of things that were hurtful, church hurt, all of that stuff. Lord, would you cast it out of our minds, cast it out of our hearts, and cause faith to arise. Because your word is true, and what we've talked about today is your word. We believe it, Lord. Let us not throw the proverbial baby out with the bathwater. But let us hold on tight to the Word of God. Let us not misuse or disuse the gifts that you have given. Teach us, Lord, to use them correctly. In Jesus' name I pray.